This is Do Good and Do Well, the podcast for people who want to make a positive difference in the world without losing themselves in the process. I'm Sarah Fox, life, business and leadership coach. And in this podcast, I'll be sharing stories from social and creative entrepreneurs and leaders to help inspire you as a change maker to do good and do well. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Fox and welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. In today's episode, I'm talking to Tiernan Duyeb. Tiernan is a stand-up comedian, writer and podcaster. He's known for using his comedy to sift through serious subjects in the friendliest and funniest manner possible. In the last few years, Tiernan has been a regular support act for Frankie Boyle, as well as writing on his BBC Two series, New World Order. Tiernan writes and hosts the Partly Political Broadcast podcast, which was one of The Guardian's top 10 political podcasts of 2018. Tiernan and I talk about a lot of things, including the silver linings of 2020, when things haven't been going well and how we can get back on track, how comedy can be a form of protest and how it's easy to compare with others, but something we should try hard not to do. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Tiernan. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to Do Good and Do Well. I am so happy that you're here. It is is lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Right, I'm just going to jump straight in. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I am tired. No, I'm, <laughs> Aren't I'm, we all? I'm, yeah, I know. That's that's how I keep it. She's supposed to I'm just a, a very tired dad. But yeah, I'm a comedian and writer primarily. Now, that is it. But then that comes with lots of other bits and pieces that you end up doing. It's sort of quite hard to describe it, really. Comedian covers lots of things, but I, I'm a comedian. And then that includes writing and sometimes acting and podcasting and anything that will pay bills and uh, noises, all sorts of stuff, basically. <laughs> Brilliant. I have a bit of a confession to make. I was really nervous about interviewing you for this podcast. And there are three reasons why that is. Firstly, you're a podcaster. So you've like, you've done this, you know how this goes. And I'm very new and getting used to it. And the second thing is I have such a fear of jokes that I <laughs> I really get very nervous if someone is telling me a joke. I've always had this. If you were going to tell me something really sad and devastating, I would be brilliant. But if you start telling me a joke, all I can think of in my head is, what if I don't get it? What if I don't get it? What if I oh, don't? No. And yeah, so I find... Yeah, I'm like, oh, God, please don't tell me any difficult jokes. I might not understand them. (laughs) And then the the third thing is about politics. And I'm really scared of talking to people about politics as well, because it's that same thing, that fear of like, what if I don't know? What if I don't get it? What if I don't know who that person is? Well, I could put your ease on all three. (laughs) One in that I'm not good at but I still don't know what I'm doing with podcasting I just do it because otherwise I'd shout at people in the park so I have to I, I yeah I, I've sort of taught myself so I wouldn't worry about that you know the beauty of podcasting is that anyone can do it and anyone does and and I, I sort of 
think that people learn to do it well just through doing it, much like lots of things. But the others, I'd say, well, I'm not going to tell you any jokes, uh, <laughs> probably at all. But if I did, they definitely won't be too different. <laughs> and, and thirdly, I also have no idea about politics. It's just that it's just that I want to know about it. And I have been trying to teach myself for years. I mean, you know this about me. I did drama at <laughs> uh -huh. I, I don't have, yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't have any political education. I didn't learn anything about it in school. I didn't really become politicised at all until, you know, well into my 20s. Even though my parents took me on marches as a kid and also they were very political. My brother was political. And I, I just realised that it, um, I think... I, it, I'm going to misquote this now. I think it's someone like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who I think is just one of the best people in the world. But I think she said, I've probably attributed this to the wrong person. She said something like, you know, you don't, you don't do politics. Politics happens to you. Like mm -hmm. politics happens to you and your life, whether you want it to or not. And so you may as well kind of get to grips with it and understand it and and be a part of it and and do what you can to change it and i i really sort of admire that i think i've she said it in about two sentences and really succinct and really clever i've garbled that but I, that's how i feel about i really feel like way back after the financial crash and then 2010 of just like friends who lost jobs at libraries friends who were teachers who suddenly had a much harder time and suddenly noticing that the world was getting awful and i thought i need to talk about this and i need mm -hmm. to understand it and i so you know i don't think i know more than anyone else and i wouldn't like to pretend that i did i you know it's i i just i seek to i'd like i'd mm. like to be better at politics mm. i hate getting in discussions with people that know lots about it <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah and your you know your uh, podcasts are so full of energy and and life and knowledge and connecting to the world around us when i was listening to them just the energy was it felt very instinctive I think for, for listening to you it felt like you were really instinctive in that world that you really connected to it and you can see how it connects with how you are and how you are living your life and the impact that it's having on you I think that that's quite right I I, I mean I as I sort of said earlier I, I do that podcast because I feel I have like if, if I didn't do it I don't know where I'd shout that energy somebody would just get an absolute just ranting from me during the week <laughs> I'd have to apologize but it is you know it's, it's going on in my head and like the main reason I started that podcast I was doing lots of political humor in my stand-up gigs mm -hmm. and the world was in such a chaotic place that by the time I got to the stage that night half of them would be irrelevant because the news had changed or the audience hadn't caught up with it yet because they weren't that bothered by it and I, and I sort of wanted something a bit more substantial somewhere to put these jokes while also I've got this real thing about explaining as I said, I don't feel like I know enough about politics. And if I can talk about politics in a way that I would get it, I mm. feel like that's a useful tool for other people who similarly don't want someone to deliver it in a patronising or overly mm. complicated way. And so it's part of what I do with the interviews as well. Every week I, I try and speak to someone who can explain to me. I'm being selfish with it, really. It's, it's <laughs> definitely for the listeners and I want them to explain to listeners, but I want them to explain to me because I'm desperate to learn what these issues are, what they actually mean. Should I be panicking 24-7 every day about the state of things? And is there anything I can do? Is there just anything we can do about any of this? <laughs> and so that's why I put it together going, can I teach myself and can I get this off? 
of my chest and then it's there and people can have it and, and I've done something with it and it, it makes me feel vaguely useful in the world. <laughs> mm-hmm. That really resonates with me actually because I think that's why I started this podcast and that I want... I want change making to feel really accessible. I want to talk to loads of different people who are making loads of different change in the world. And it is from my point of view going, I also just want to chat to to all these amazing people because they're so fantastic and I want to learn. I want to learn how we can all do better for ourselves and for the for the communities that are around us, for the world. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So as you know, this podcast is do good and do well what does that mean for you oh that's that's a good question I I don't know I I think that there's something like I'm very I feel like I'm very naive about a lot of these things because I can't understand why you wouldn't want to do good for other people right and I I know that's really I've, I've generally always lived with a very childish sense of well why wouldn't you just be nice to people for the sake of it but I I really think that I, I I don't feel like everyone has to do this, but I've got a, a, a I don't know where it comes from really, but like a, like a, a feel a feeling that I I've I've got a job and my job is that I can talk to people and I can communicate and I can tell jokes and that's what I know I'm good at and I feel like that's not enough. I should be doing good with that. I should be using what I've got to explain things to people or to at least help them laugh at things that they might be otherwise upset about or concerned about Mm -hmm. and that it's not enough to just do the same jokes that everyone's doing on the telly or you know it's it's not enough to to not really care about it or or put enough heart into it so that anyone could do it I feel like there's always a, a way to try harder and do better with it um they're doing well I'm less sure <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever done well with it <laughs> or know how to do well with it but I think it's it's all just sort of a, a personal need I, I think like you said about talking to people who are artistic there's a there's a weird drive and, and a lot of comedians have it and we we discuss it and this is very insensitive uh, I'd have to sort of say this before I describe but a lot of comedians describe it as like a, like an illness and I appreciate that it's not like an illness and I don't want anyone to write in and complain I'm very sorry if you know but but it is like there's a weird need to be on a stage and to talk to people that drives you to do it and it's very hard to explain but like this year it's been incredibly tough not just because financially it's been horrific financially but because actually Actually, we thrive on getting on that stage and talking to people and it's not because we want to be famous or because we want to you know do all these things because we we just love it and and it really is something in us that that makes you want to shout at a room full of strangers and I can't really explain it and for a lot of people and I won't say everyone because some people do do it with for different reasons but a lot of comedians do it because they want to express something and whether that's something about themselves or you know something just things that they find funny or whether it's with a sort of bigger theme to it they just want to get it off their chest and make people laugh about it and that's it's really hard to explain I co-run a thing called comedy club for kids and we teach kids well we do stand up for children but we also teach kids how to do stand up and we have we go into schools and we do workshops and we also go around the country and do workshops but we have got certain places where we do regular workshops and the kids that come to these workshops are kids that want to do stand up and they are 100% like comedians people that just fall into it and you can see in these kids oh you've got a really weird need to do this haven't you and you can't quite explain it but there's something in them where they meander onto the stage and 
kids often pick it up a lot quicker than, than adults do, but they just immediately go, I need to talk to you about stuff and just get these really funny sort of outside the box concepts off their chest. Like it's just gnawing at them and it needs to come out of their mouth. And it's, it's fascinating that a kid will walk into class and immediately go, oh yeah, they're going to be really good. We just know. <laughs> There's something about them. We just know. Yeah. And I'm just thinking that that desire, that urge to get onto that stage and share what you have to say must be massive because as a stand-up comedian, you must have to take so many risks that, you know, or how other people perceive as risks to stand up there and be very vulnerable. You know, here you are talking and people might not laugh. People might stand up and leave people you know that it really feels like there's a real risk taking so you have to have that real urge and desire to do it in the first place to overcome that yeah it's, it's really personal and it's, it's what I, I hadn't realized in the sort of years where I wanted to do acting and then I did stand up and went oh this is so much more exciting because it's your words and it's mm. from your head and it's the things you find funny and so if people don't like it they don't like you which is quite brutal it's not they don't like the character you're playing or they don't like the writing you're performing you know it's, it's really personal but there's something so invigorating about it as well that I mean, it definitely didn't happen until I'd been doing it for at least 10 years that there suddenly was a point where it clicked and I suddenly went I don't really care about the odd person that doesn't like it anymore. I don't care. I don't care about the size of the room. I don't care if there's 2,000 people in here or 30. I want to talk to and I, I'm going to do it. And I, I know also you, you start becoming really instinctive about how people in a room are and what their body language means. And if they aren't going for certain material, you know you've got other things you can do with it or you can have a, a chat with them. So much of the worry about how it's going to go disappears, but it takes a long time. And then it's so freeing that you think, well, I'm just going to go stage. I'm going to talk to you about absolutely anything I want to, as long as it's funny. It has to be funny. You know, I don't want to pretend that I can just go and rant at someone. There does have to be jokes in there, but you can talk to people about whatever you like. And uh, for me, still watching other stand-ups, the ones that I, I'm really picky. I'm a terrible audience for other stand-up comedians because I sit there and I go, oh, I wouldn't add, I wouldn't have put that bit there. I'd have added another bit, and it's all going through my head, and I don't actually laugh. But the ones that make me laugh are the ones that are really honest and just talking about things that you go, yeah, I know you're interested in this because there's a passion to this, or I know this is something that's bothering you because you're talking about it with desire, rather than comics who will tell a joke and you go. I don't think you really care about that. There's something so much more important about the the and uh, and exciting about the the ones that get up on stage and just go this means something to me and I'm going to make it mean something to you and you're going to laugh about it even if you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about when I begin or you've never like you don't have any similar experiences or anything I'm going to make you enjoy this and that is I think that's really exciting. Yeah, there is something about being able to stand in your own power and be yourself and it is freeing when you think you know what whatever I do someone's going to judge it somewhere so actually let's just do it anyway I think the fear of being judged stops so many people from really becoming who they want to be who they could be that yeah, we need a bit of your, we need some tin and sprinkle magic on us so that we can uh, get up on 
it's tricky. It takes a it takes a long time. It took me a long time, like and and also a really long time to like not only get confidence, but then the confidence do material you like. So there's confidence on stage and being in a room, but then there's confidence to actually say what you want to say with that and confidence to be yourself on stage and not be a sort of persona. And all of that comes in. And and I think now particularly hard, I mean, one thing I find really interesting, so if you get sort of abuse online, it's it's fascinating in that, that I think that those people don't realise that I just kind of think, oh, I don't care, just don't come to a show. Like, you know, it's not, it's a, you don't have to like a joke. This joke isn't for you, <laughs> you know, but actually... <clears throat> I think for a lot of people in this day and age, that you you that feeling of being attacked or you know from online as well as on you know that it's it can really knock someone's confidence even more. And you know I think that that can make it extra difficult. That's something that I didn't have when I started out. It was just the people in that one gig who probably wouldn't remember my name, and I'd go home and I'd be miserable for a night if it didn't go well. And then the next day I'd be like, right, I'll do another one. Um, whereas now your footage is recorded and it might end up online, and then people, you know, and so there's all these different layers to it. So I think I slightly got away with it in the early 2000s by <laughs> not having all people had crap phones, so it saved me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm always very grateful that Facebook did not exist oh, when I was at university. Too. Thank goodness. Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm so pleased there's not many photos of me uh, at that time. <laughs> really grateful. <laughs> Has there been a time then when you have felt like things haven't really gone very well and that you feel disconnected to the work that you're doing, misaligned? and what did you need to do to kind of get out of that? I've had loads of those, <laughs> loads of those times all the time, um, including this year, really, I suppose. But but I'll, I'll start earlier than that. I think there's, there's been a few times in that the one that I definitely got, I think, in my industry, it's uh, in the in- comedy industry, uh, it's easy to get very competitive, which I think knocked me back quite a bit early on in that I saw other people who started after me suddenly then getting on TV and doing things. And it, and it took me... Well, do you know, what? actually, the, the way I got out of that was other comedians that I really respected kind of saying, it's not a race. This is not a race. Do it because mm. you want to do it. And and really learning to enjoy doing it for myself. And again, like I said, learning to do what I wanted to with it and not kind of feeling like I had to. I think for a long time I, I was trying to do comedy that I thought other people wanted and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with it and it took me a while to find that purpose of going no I'm going to talk about things that I actually am interested in and and talking to more experienced comedians who again as I said do it because they they have to not because they're desperate to be on live at the Apollo whatever it was and and that really helped and to you know try and enjoy other people's comedy because I enjoy it and not get angry that they're doing something that I'm not you know and 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 also I think that you just sort of get reassurance the more you do it and the more connections you make and the more things that happen and you know, there's so much to a career in this job that isn't just being on the telly and, and you you can feel very gratified in many, many other ways. So that really helped. But the, uh, I think the big one, I had, I had a, a time where I just, I mean, I think the biggest issue it's always been for me is that I don't have money and I don't have inheritance. I don't have parents that have supported me. Um, they they try, but they can't. They they don't have tons of money. And, and so I've had to pay bills. And there have been several times in my career where I've done a whole load of gigs, particularly comedy shows uh, rather than other work, but sometimes other work as well, that was to pay the bills. And they were often shows that were to very drunken stag dudes and drunken hen dudes, and they didn't care about what comedy I was doing. And it was crowd control and 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 just dealing with shouting drunk people. And, and after sort of a few years of that, it really wears away your spirits. You're going, I'm not 
doing anything creative. I'm not doing anything artistic or creative with this. I'm barely entertaining people. They'll wake up next day with no memory you know, of what you're doing. I am just paying bills and that's great. And it's really nice to be able to do that for the first time in, in how many years, but I am hating myself and I'm hating this job. And I, I was sort of in a slightly lucky position at the time where I'd, I'd just done so much work that I was able to take a bit of time off. And I'm very bad at taking time off. I like working all the time and uh, I'm a bit of a workaholic and sort of say yes to everything. But I just said, I'm going to stop doing these gigs. I've got to stop doing them for my own sanity. It was making me angry and it was making me write terrible stuff. And I just stopped and I just went and watched stuff that wasn't comedy. I I tried to watch theatre and I tried to watch films and I tried to read some books that were really not funny and just get inspiration from places that were absolutely out of my zone and go what is it I want to do and how do I you know I found tiny little gigs that paid appallingly but were really fun and I did things I I went and just asked if I could turn up and do 10 minutes of stuff that I actually cared about and it was just sort of finding your feet with it all and and working out what it is you want to do with it and and financially it was a completely stupid thing to do but but mentally it was it I think it really really saved me I booked I it was I think it's sort of 2013 2014 I booked my own tour which was really tricky to do but I booked about 16 I contacted loads of art centers and theaters myself and just said look I'm not on telly but this is what I do and I've got this many Twitter followers and people that like what I do can I come to you and just do an hour show and I, I I'll you know only need this much money to kind of support travelers so many of them accepted and I just went on my own little tour I drove myself around and entertained and, and got some quite nice audiences and just talked to him for an hour and it it just felt so healing. It was totally selfish. And as I said, my bank hated me, but it, it, it really fixed things. So that was, yeah, that was probably the biggest one. And then this year, this year has been different because it, yeah, we've been unable to do the work that we want to do. So I've just had a lot of time evaluating, going, can I do something else? Can I do so if if comedy doesn't come back? because of covid or whatever because all the arts institutions have disappeared because they haven't been funded if all the places we would gig uh, disappear and so i've spent a lot of time trying to work out what i can do instead which has been tricky and i tried to sort of find a way to enjoy it so i applied for a lot of work that involved writing and i would try to send very imaginative applications and, and put humor in there where i could and i got some very nice responses and i've had some nice writing work come out of it and i've ended up writing things i'd never expected writing for like a computer game trailer or a kind of business corporate video and all these things that i wasn't necessarily doing before so and if anything it's now opened up things for me for the next year of when gigs do come back on they'll be able to do that other stuff too so it's good but it's it's hard and it and I don't I'm saying all this like I immediately thought of how to get out of it and I didn't it's there was weeks yeah. of wallowing and complaining yeah. to my wife <laughs> and then working out and, and talking to other people and going what is it I could do and moments of just going shall we just try and get through as much of this year as possible and then work things out and all, all those sorts of questions that I'm sure everyone uh, that's listening to this has, has dealt with as well. I get that I think there's been a couple of moments where I've had to really kind of step back and think what is it I'm doing how do I want to spend my life how do I want to how do I want to live what do I want to be doing how do I want to make a difference and you know, in, in I was about to launch my coaching practice when COVID hit and there was a good two, three weeks of me just going, oh, what is going on? Like I literally felt stuck in mud 
thinking, I just don't know what I'm going to do now. I think sometimes you need to let that happen, let that, you know, be stuck in the mud and then hopefully things will start to move and loosen up and you find a new way. It's nothing, I mean, I, I don't know if you felt like this because your job is sort of helping people not feel like this, but there was a weird, it was a uselessness feeling, which I've not really felt before. Mm. And I've often, up until this year, really gone, well, I know what I want to do. And, it was, and I'm really resourceful at finding work so I've always uh, I've got that weird thing where I've got an absolute lack of job security but I've got a weird security and the confidence that I'll find work and I'll and I'll just you know and and in back in March I lost a year of work overnight I had a year of work booked in and it all disappeared and and it was this sudden very useless feeling of going my job is to shout at people I don't know in a room with no windows which is the worst thing for a virus and you're suddenly aware that this doesn't help anyone and nothing that I do could be very useful to anyone right now and and that was quite overwhelming for I think it took me about three months really uh that first sort of lockdown thing to go how do I and and a lot of creative people I know were being brilliant they're producing videos every day and they're producing stuff and making stuff and I started and then burnt out so quickly and Mm. just went I think I need to deal with all of this and then chill and then come back you know uh, to come back at it at a later date and and kind of collect myself and get my head mm-hmm. together and it's it's a tricky thing to do but I mean you know also these are unprecedented times so it's hopefully a situation you're not gonna have to deal with too many too many times in the future hopefully yeah. first, I'm, just, <laughs> I? I'm so sorry everyone <laughs> but there is something isn't there about recognizing that we are all human and we're all going to respond differently and there was something you were saying earlier about uh, how early in your career it was easy to look at what other people are doing and think oh you know why am I not doing that and there's a brilliant quote that says comparison is the thief of joy and and it's and it's this as well like how how you how people have dealt with this year will be so different because we all have such different experiences but it's how we connect with ourselves so that we are well enough you know whether that's financially so we can pay our bills or whether that's emotionally physically you know whatever it that means to you to be well so that you can think now what difference can I make and some people can do that much more quickly than others yeah there's yeah I think I'm on the slower end of the uh, <laughs> the scale for that but it's but I think that also comes from I don't know a job that is so instinctive as you sort of mentioned earlier but it is that you know taking things as they arrive and uh you know i think a, a lot of people at the beginning of the pandemic i heard lots of radio interviews kind of say oh the people that will cope with this fine are the people that are you know already have very flexible lives and are used to working from home and it's like well yes and no in that i'm quite right with the being at home but actually i'm missing the traveling and i'm missing the difference in all the jobs i'm doing but more than that the, the variation in my job meant that I didn't have anything secure because I was just going to be doing work as and when it popped up. So that meant it was much harder to handle because mm. I didn't know what I was going to be doing when I'd previously had, you know, as I said, a year's worth of plans. It does make you reevaluate everything. Um, mm. it's, and and I, it's not, it's not been uh, a touch word. I suppose I've been lucky. It's not been the worst thing to do that at all for me. As I said, there's definitely been some upsides to it. Mm. Um, can I just touch on, uh, I listened to a podcast that you did recently and you were talking about something you did in London around protest, comedy and protest, and you were on a bridge. And <laughs> this is- Yes, 
This is some, this is a few years ago. Yeah. Can you just yeah. talk a little bit about that? Because I'm really fascinated by that sense of how how comedy can be protest as well. So that that instant was oh uh, that must have been like it was probably about ten years ago I think maybe and it was a big um, protest when there were the first load of cuts that were uh, when the government was sort of starting to bring in austerity and there were cuts to nurses' pay at the time and we mm-hmm. were doing a big sort of uh, protect the NHS march that went through London and there were thousands and thousands of people on it and part of it was a we did a comedy gig on Westminster Bridge. Westminster Bridge was completely blocked off by people and we set up a stage. I say we, I didn't do the organising bit. I was just part of it. Those comedians like Josie Long were there and Mark Thomas and, and other sort of more political comedians. Also some very non-political ones. And we stood on this bridge with, I have no idea how many people were there, but you, you couldn't, see anything else because of the people like they were just surrounding you in a sort of semicircle in an event that in today's world we'd be terrified by <laughs> you know so i'm now thinking about going oh god crowds are all so close together oh my god uh, no masks i was thinking um, the same yeah, it's weird isn't it but it was so exhilarating and we, we all got on stage and we did sort of 10 to 15 minutes each of political humor about it and and uh through a really crappy pa system and uh and it was just exhilarating i mean the crowd was so on board and i think it was really nice because it'd been you know things were starting to get quite worrying in terms of cuts and the protest was very serious and there was this sudden moment where we were all on this bridge together and people were laughing and really loud laughing out in the open at some quite serious subjects and i i think like in terms of comedy as a brain, like I've got quite strong views on that. I don't think satire or political comedy can ever really change the world as such, but I think that it can unite people in saying we all believe, we all agree with this in the same way a protest can. And I think that we can also put things into context in a way that they might not be put into that context otherwise. You know, I think we, we can kind of laugh at them and look at the sillier ways of dealing with things, which helps you look at the more serious ways you might deal with them. And I think that's sometimes incredibly important. And I also think that, like, I've learned loads. Like, one of the main reasons I got into political comedy ever was because I went to see Mark Thomas do a show called As Used on the Famous Nelson Mandela, which was a show about the arms trade. And the title is, unfortunately, how one of the weapons was being sold, which is horrific. And, and, and the book, and the show contained such horrible information about the arms trade and um, weapons companies. And yet I laughed from start to finish. And I came out with this aching face and going, my God, my head is full of all this stuff I didn't even know about. And I feel like I've absorbed it all. And I went and met him afterwards. And I just said, I just want, you know, I'm a comedian. That blew me away. I, you know, it just... I've just, you make me really want to do that. I, I wish I could do that sort of thing. And he just said, oh, well, um, why don't we go get breakfast one day and we'll talk about it so you can do it. And he gave me his email. And I just went, oh my God, this is incredible. And and we did. And he met up and just sort of said, why why are you struggling to talk about what you want to talk about? And I was like, I don't really know. And he says, just do it, just do it. Just start talking about it. And that kind of inspired me. But it is, it is that thing of just, you laugh and you take it in. You know, it, I think like, I was sort of think like, you remember the teachers that were funny like at school, the teachers that were genuinely funny. Mm. And they're often the ones that made an impact and often the ones that you sat and you listened to because they've broken that barrier and made you laugh. And then everything else they say kind of gets absorbed in afterwards. And I think comedy has that power. I think that's what you can do with it. You can give people ideas and uh, solutions by making them really laugh about it first. That's that, that's mm. my sort of vague opinion on it. <laughs> 
That's a brilliant opinion. That's not fake. That's fantastic. So, okay, this is, okay, this question. What didn't you know you didn't know when you first started doing what you're doing? Oh, wow. Gosh, that's a really... What didn't I know? I didn't know. I mean, like, everything. I didn't know anything. <laughs> when I first started, I didn't have a clue about anything. And I didn't have any... I think the most important thing is I think I didn't know I could do whatever I liked with it. And I think that I didn't mm. realise the power was with me. And and that it's my job and I can do... You know, I'm my boss. It's one of the beauties of this job is that I don't have someone else telling me what to do. At the moment, I don't even have an agent telling me what to do, which is actually brilliant. And, um, you know, so, but it, they, I think... It took me a long time. I sort of said that a bit early, but it took me a long time to realise I could 100% do what I liked with it. And I think in my head, I, ha- I I kept thinking, well, I have to do the comedy other people like, but not only that, I had to do the gigs people like, and you have to do the Edinburgh Fringe and you have to do this path to the the work, you know, to, to get anywhere and that there's a set thing that you have to do five minutes, sets, 10 minutes, sets, 20 minutes, sets, and you have to entertain these people and please these agents, these producers. And it's exhausting and it means mm. that you do a lot of stuff you don't want to do. And sadly for me, I think it took trial and error <laughs> to, to get to the other side of that. But I'm I'm enjoying my career a lot more. And I mean, I suppose slightly less this year because of everything. But, but pre-pandemic, I was finally in a place with the work where I was only saying yes to stuff I actually wanted to do. And it was, it just was the best feeling in the world. I was gigging, I was doing the the comedy gigs I wanted to do, but on the side, I I, I did some work with a company, well, a sort of social innovation charity, and I was making their work and uh, their projects accessible on a podcast for them. So it's talking about robot drone bees and how we do preventative healthcare and all these things Mm. that actually are important and matter. And I was hosting and writing their podcast, but I was making it into language so that listeners who were outside of the charity would listen to it. And and it was just the most exciting job. And and I was doing lots of bits of work like that where I'm going, these are things I have a genuine interest in, uh, something that I would listen to and something that I would do. And this year, as I said, that's changed slightly, but I'm still being a bit picky uh, and getting to choose the jobs I like and it, and it took me a long time to, to do that and as I've said several times it's not necessarily the most financially stable thing to it's taken a long time for me to be financially confident to do that and a long time to be able to you know sort of know how to save up for the moments when that doesn't occur but I'm much happier as a result I'm so much happier to to just do things I like doing. And I mean, I had a problem as, as a kid in junior school where I used to get just, uh, I'd, teachers would sort of talk to my parents about how I got massively bored in class and I'd, talk, I'd distract other kids and I'd, I'd get, get in other kids' way. And it'd be... <laughs> well, I was good. I wasn't rude, but I'd finish all my work really early and then be bored and then talk to other kids yeah. and stop them from doing theirs. And I used to get in a lot of trouble for it. And um, the teacher used to have to give me extra creative things to do. And it's because I've always been very bad at doing jobs I don't want to do. And, and even in the years that I did a day job as well as doing comedy, I'd get all my work done as quickly as possible in the first two hours they then sit there and write jokes and write sketches and email people and bother them and and I'd get in trouble for that and it would always be because I don't know I I'm not I've got a, a very short attention span for stuff. I'm how how privileged and snobbish that's like, but that, I don't want to do it, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put the effort in something I don't want to do. And I'm finally at a place in my life where I don't have to do those jobs. Yeah. Or I, and I wish I'd told myself earlier to be more daring and more creative and just do the the humour and everything that I'd wanted to do. And, mm. I, you know, I think I'd, I, I don't think I'd have gone through some of the periods where I was really questioning what on earth I'm doing in my career if I'd been doing that from the offset, definitely. Mm. 
As you were talking, I was thinking, I wish I could have had a bit of that when I was younger because I was such a people pleaser. You know, I would do anything as if it made someone else happy. And I that can be such sabotaging behaviour to stop you being yourself and who you really want to be. So, yeah, I think that's it's a brilliant thing. And it's a brilliant thing to know what you need to say yes to and what you need to say no to so that you can live a life that feels good, that feels good for you. And there's a whole other conversation about salaries and pay. Yeah, surviving is the hard bit. (laughs) I I was going to say, I think some of it also comes with age and that when I was in my 20s or younger, I just, I similarly just wanted to please me. And definitely then into 30s and now I'm very nearly in my 40s, like days away, but you don't care as much. what people think <laughs> and you go I've, I just want to do the things I like you know and I think that's that's a really nice um mm. I don't know you just notice the change in the way that you think about stuff and you don't have time to mess about with things that you're mm. not as interested in because of kids and life and everything else so why why spend those precious free hours away from childcare do it working on something you don't actually even like yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do you think that actually having children, I know that you've got a daughter, do you think that even that makes you think, well, what am I modelling? Because actually I wouldn't want my children to have to spend lots and lots of time doing things that they really didn't love or feel connected to or that they desperately didn't want to do, but they had to say yes to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's again, uh, uh, and I know it's a different conversation, but again, there's the financial thing of going, ah, oh, right now I'm financially responsible for someone else as well. <laughs> this is definitely put the pressure on, but it, 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 it does. Um, I think it makes you use your time a lot more wisely. And I also would like to be, I realize that sounds very sort of sanctimonious. But I'd like to be happy for her as well. I don't want to be a, a miserable dad who's really hating my job. And then mm. I come home and I'm like, oh, and I'm going to look after you as well. You don't want that <laughs> attitude to kind of carry on through the days. I, I grew up, both my parents were um, in very serious work. They're both child protection social workers and they, mm they saved kids lives right on a like weekly basis and i say i'm not saying that lightly that they genuinely some of the stories were ridiculous but they'd come home and i don't know how they didn't sort of bring it home more than they did but there were definitely times i remember my dad coming home in just the worst moods and it's only years later i found out why and it's because of the stuff he had dealt with that day and he'd bring it home with him and he'd just be grumpy and he was hating the bureaucracy around things that were would otherwise just you know, save people. And uh, and I just always think I don't want to be like, I mean, I hugely respect their work. It's, it's also the reason I think my brother became um, a, a sort of rapper and DJ and producer and I've become a comedian. We both think, <laughs> God, well, sod that. We are not doing anything useful for the world. <laughs> and, but I think it also made them go, we want our kids to do whatever they want because we're doing these really tough jobs. We've also seen kids in the worst situations and, and we, you know... And I think we've sort of been very lucky to have supportive parents who'd, who do that. But that's carried on into my thinking now. If I don't want to bring stress home with me, I don't want my daughter to know that I'm, you know, hating what I'm doing. I want her to know that I enjoy what I'm doing. She knows I'm a comedian. She hasn't got a clue. She's only two and a half. She hasn't got a clue oh. what it means. And, uh, <laughs> and she doesn't laugh at anything I do. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, no, my children don't laugh at anything I do either. Um <laughs> What's next for you then? What 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 do you hope twenty twenty one looks like? Oh wow! Um, I it's a I don't know because this year's been bonkers. I'm really trying. What I've really enjoyed 
this year, the the thing that I've really enjoyed is it's given me time for projects I didn't have time for. So, like, I'd really find I'm really scraping for the the silver lining here, but <laughs> but the not having gigs to write for and do meant that I wrote a script I've been meaning to write for about three years for a project that I want to do, um, and I've been writing for a couple of other bits, and I just I'm, I'm going to try and push all of those things a lot more next year. I've got some interest in some of them, and I think. That's what I'm hoping next year brings is is a bit more uh, variation in it, not just being live comedy. It's, it's funny because I, I've both really missed travelling this year. I really love the part of my job that means I go all over the place and I am meeting different people. And um, I got in October to do some live gigs in Sheffield, which had been the first time all year and sort of driven somewhere further than outside London. And <laughs> I missed, I loved staying in a hotel, talking to people in Sheffield, just going, oh my God, it's doing a proper show again. But, um, but at the same time, I've also really how much I love not driving and being at home and being at home in the evenings and seeing my daughter a lot more and September last year and this sounds really uh la-di-da but I was in Hong Kong and last couple of years I've gone to Hong Kong and I've done kids shows over there and taught kids workshops to uh, English speaking schools and it's been amazing and yet both times I have so desperately missed my daughter being away for a week and a half each time and this year I didn't go and I was like I'm really sad not to be over the well Hong Kong's sort of a, a, in a terrible state right now so maybe less so but I was sad not to be doing the traveling and then at the same time going oh I'm not going to miss you for a week so I'm going to see you and um, this is nice and I'm at home and I'm settled and 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 that's that's a good thing so next year I've got to somehow incorporate liking traveling but liking not traveling <laughs> all together and uh, liking doing gigs but not wanting to do gigs and doing writing and I kind of want to put it all together and uh, again just do the stuff I want to do if I can get away with that mm. for longer I definitely will. I have a feeling that it's all going to work out for you I just I think it will I'm really excited to see these projects come to fruition and and see what's next. Oh, thank thank you. you so much for being here. Thank you. How do people find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, just Google me, but then you've got to spell my name, which is the hardest thing in the world. So if you if they, if, if they look on this podcast and just copy and paste my name. <laughs> yeah, I'll put <laughs> it in the show notes. That's the easiest way to do it. It's uh, website's tianadu.co.uk. Twitter that I am on endlessly and relentlessly. Uh, it's just at tianadu. It's all... Uh, you type my name into Google, I am the only one, and you will find all the things that I do <laughs> that way. So it's probably the best thing. Um, I suppose I should plug. My podcast is partly political broadcasting. It is out weekly. Um, it's going to have a short break over Christmas, but then, then it is as long as there are politics for me to complain about that will happen I'm sure there will be (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much thank you thanks for having me I hope you enjoyed listening to that if you'd like to be part of the do good and do well community please pop along to the Facebook group You can also find me on other social media sites and you can check out my website, sarahfox.co.uk. Take good care of yourself.